At Apex Students, we talk a lot about having mountaintop experiences with God. In this message, we're talking about making sure that we don't make those moments about ourselves because the moment is not about me. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus. Do we have any, any campers in the room? Wow! Really love camping? Okay. Not in Call of Duty. Yeah, not Call of Duty. I mean, real life. Camping. Tents. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Actual... I didn't mean to, like, start a war in here, guys. <laughs> Whatever you call camping is fine. You can camp however you want. I, believe it or not, Pastor Chris used to be um, Chaplain Chris in the Boy Scouts. Boy Scout Troop 461, I was the chaplain. So that just meant I prayed over Thanksgiving dinner. That was basically all that meant. But um, we went camping every single month. So I was really into camping. Um, nowadays... Not so much into camping. Nowadays, if I have to like sleep on a carpeted floor, I know my back's going to hurt in the morning, let alone on the actual literal ground. Do you know people sleep on the ground? <laughs> what? <laughs> Guys, I'm old now, and my back hurts in the morning, and I get grumpy, and nobody wins. So um, I'm not into it. Though I do have a hammock now, and I assume that would make it better. I haven't been ha- camping with my hammock yet, but I have s- slept in my hammock. And it is great. It's off the ground. It's a little better. So maybe I could try camping again. But this is one of the things that makes me think, like, I could never survive Jesus' time. There's just no way I would make it. Because if I, like, I, like, study their life a lot, like, the, the pe- in that time period, um, the turn of the, the eras. And I see, like, I love to eat. I'm on a diet, and I'm, like, dying. It's just the worst thing. But they, like, barely had enough bread to survive. <laughs> right? Like I'm at a Chinese restaurant, like eating literally all I could, all that I want to eat. And they need to make sure that they have enough bread to get through the day. They have to make sure that their one lamb survives so they can eat it for a year. I would not survive in that. I like the internet a lot. I like the internet. I like Netflix. And at Jesus's time, if you weren't like working full time from the age of like eight you were going to die, and your family was going to die. Like, there were really high stakes at this time. I would not have survived, and that is for sure. And um, they were, like, doing a lot of camping, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure they had some sort of beds, like maybe, like, wool or, like, maybe feathers. I'm sure only rich people got this luxury. But if you were traveling, you all you could carry was, like, the bare essentials. So if you were ever traveling, you're not staying in a hotel. You're sleeping on the ground. So I just wouldn't make it. And this isn't forest camping, which is the kind of camping I did, where you can just like get some moss and like kind of pretend you have a bed. No, this is like mountains, like rock in your back all night, not like a route that you can move around to, like several rocks constantly poking you. Um, I sort of, there was a time I liked camping, but I've never liked hiking. Hiking has never been something I'm like, I'd just love to go on a hike with you. Never, once. I do hike occasionally, because I love my wife, but that is the only reason that I will ever go on a hike. I'm not a fan. So that life just sounds horrible to me, um, to live in Jesus' time. And uh, they had the hiking camp all the time because their landscape was covered in mountains. 
a lot to say. Their landscape was covered in mountains and hills, and we see that in ancient writing, in ancient writings. We see mountains pop up all the time in ancient writings. We see that people were on hills and mountains because it was a very mountainous area for the, you know, 6,000 years or so ago that we have these ancient writings that we're reading from. Um, we see mountains popping up all the time. And a lot of times these mountains um, were very important to God because God would do things on these mountains. He would make mountains important. So he would take people to a mountain to perform a miracle, or he would take people to a mountain to reveal something about himself and reveal himself to someone in a new way. Or he would take someone to a mountain to give them like a mission for the rest of their life, the next steps that they need to take um, for that person. Mountains were very, very important. And we've talked about a lot of mountains in here. You see some mountains around that it's not a surprise to you. Um, we've talked about mountains a lot. So we've talked about uh, the prophet Elijah getting his mission on a mountain, the gentle whisper, you know, the, the chaos on the mountain, and God showed up in a gentle whisper. We saw Abraham almost sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain before God provided a sacrifice and, and said, thank you for your obedience. We've talked, about, um, we've talked about this speech. Do you have that video for me? We've talked about this mountain in not so much history, like ancient history, but recent history. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. He's talking about a figurative mountain, but a mountain nonetheless. He was talking about a, a mountain, the promised land, the future, racial equality that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about. And in the context of his, him earlier saying, I might not get there with you. Like, I realize that this is something that maybe no one in this room is going to fully experience. But I see a world where our races can all um, be around each other in complete harmony. He says, I see that world. I've been on the mountaintop. We talked about work for another. That was the idea. And we talked about Jesus did that. He sacrificed his life on the cross. We need to sacrifice our lives, work for another. We talked about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All the blessed are these, the blessed are the peacemakers, the blessed are the meek, the blessed are a bunch of things, how to live a blessed and happy life. We talked about Moses and the burning bush and how he was hiding from his mission and God made his mission way bigger than he ever could have imagined. And he revealed that mission to him to free the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. And he said, I'm going to use this person. He said, I'm going to use you. He revealed that mission to him on a mountain. We talked about the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is where Jesus brought his friends, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain. And Jesus was God on earth, so he did some pretty crazy things. So he brought them up there, and uh, Jesus started to talk to two men who were thousands of years dead. He started to talk to Moses and Elijah, and they were glowing. And it was like, Peter and James and John were like, what? Are you seeing this? What did we eat? Are you seeing what I'm seeing right now? And, uh, and so these guys, Moses and Elijah, who are mountain veterans that we just mentioned just a minute ago, both very comfortable on the mountain. And uh, the disciples said, can we just like build like a city here? Should we just like make some tents and just camp right here? Because uh, this would be a good place to stay. All the glowing people and the presence of God, I want in on that. And uh, we learned that your moment doesn't end on the mountain. 
that they got a mission on the mountain, and what they needed to do was you learn, and then you leave. That's what they had to do on the Mount of Transfiguration. You get the mission, and then you got to go and carry it around. So we have been all over ancient history and some recent history talking about mountaintop experiences. So what does this mean for you? Right now, you are at Apex Students. If you didn't know that, we said it a couple times. This is Apex Students. You are at Apex Students. You are Apex Students. It's a little complicated. This, you are Apex. That's what is happening right now around you. If you didn't know, apex is another word for the top of a mountain, the apex of a mountain. Um, so the, the summit, the peak, those are some synonyms. So we got our name from these mountain experiences in the Bible. We call them like an apex moment. God gave people an apex moment on a mountain. And this is where God intersects with humanity. This is where God communicates with his people in a big way, does something big, reveals something, um, uh, gives a mission, gives more of himself, pours out himself, that kind of thing. Happens on the mountain, we call it an apex moment. And that's what we want for people here. That's why we've branded ourselves with this mountain experience, because we want this place to be a place where you can intersect with God. That's everything we do is about creating a group, creating an atmosphere where you can have an intersection with the creator of the universe, where you can kneel at an altar and discover this God that, that you may not have known before and discover a new level with God and get to know God better. That's what we do. That's what we're all about. We have a good time doing it. Sometimes we throw cheese balls at people's faces, but at the core, that may not sound like it's about Jesus, but it really is. <laughs> at the core, we want everyone to experience God. That's why we do what we do. We've been Apex for about two years now. If you're newer, that's it's only two years. We're all pretty new to this Apex thing. Two years and five days, to be exact. January 4th, 2017 was the launch, the birth of Apex. Um, some of you were here for that. Some of you were not, and we're so glad that you have joined us. And in the last two years, we've started out the new year with a, a series about why we do what we do. A series, Apex the series. Um, this year, we're doing one. We're going to roll it into one message, and the, the purpose is because I, I got one thought that I think is important for us. As we start this new year and we think about our mission, about Apex, about who we are and, and why we do what we do, I have one thought that uh, is important that we talk about. So tonight we're talking about an aspect of Apex that I believe has been overlooked in the past. When I look back on how we've talked about Apex moments and in this, these, this series that we've done for a couple of years, how we've talked about the mountaintop experiences with God, I'm afraid that I have and that we have put too much focus on the experience itself. That we've put too much, by, by branding us Apex, talking about Apex moments, we've put all the focus on the moment. We've put all the focus on the experience. And uh, we've talked a lot about what God does for you on the mountain, how he reveals himself to you on the mountain, how great it is for you on the mountain. Um, but while I've been talking with some of you over the past two years, I've, I wonder, I, I've gathered some of your, your feedback, and I wonder if we have spent too much time talking about the moment and thinking about ourselves, if we put too much focus on us. I wonder if we've accidentally put the focus on us instead of God. Because the focus shouldn't be on the moment. The focus shouldn't be on us experiencing the moment. The focus should be on the giver of the apex moments. All of those apex moments, we have a burning bush speaking to Moses. We have a gentle whisper talking to Elijah. Those stories are not about Elijah and Moses. Those stories are about the creator of the universe communicating with his people. The creator of the universe is the focus. And tonight, I want to work on making that right. I want to work on toward getting our focus. And for some of you, this doesn't, 
this wasn't a problem you had, but, but I wonder if we as a group have focused too much on the moment, I want to work toward focusing on the giver of the moment. We've called this group Apex Students, not because the mountaintop or the apex moment is the focus, but because this is the place where you can have that moment and experience God and have an intersection with the creator. If you seek the moment, you're seeking the wrong thing. That's what we're talking about tonight. If you seek the moment, you're seeking the wrong thing, and uh, we need to be seeking the giver of the moment rather than the moment itself. We need to be seeking God. So we're going to work together tonight to get the focus off of ourselves, off of the moment itself, and onto God who meets us and who makes the moment, the God, the creator of the universe. That's what we're talking about tonight. So to do that, we're going to look at a mountaintop experience in the Bible in history that makes it very clear who this whole thing is about. We're going to be in First uh, Kings 18. If you have... If you're carrying ancient scripture, uh, ancient writings around with you, you can bring those up. And in 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we're going to be. And this is just a warning. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture, uh, but stay focused because the, this is a, like a narrative, a historical event that I do think will keep your attention. 1 Kings chapter 18, stay tuned in because there's really one important thing that, like I said, we're doing one message on Apex because there's one point we got to hit, and this is it. The mountain is not about me. The mountain is not about me. Repeat after me. The mountain is not about me. The mountain is not about me. All right, we're going to talk about a mountain man that we've talked about before. Um, he's a prophet named Elijah. But we're going to be talking about it in a different time than the, the chaos on the mountain, the gentle whisper thing. This is right before that. To back up way far. God chose his people, the Israelite people, to be his nation, that he was going to reveal himself to the world through the Israelite people. He said, people, my people, Israelite people, you don't need a God. Wait, you do need a God. You don't need a king. That's what you don't need. Very, very important distinction. You need a God so much that you don't need a king. Because God was like, I know what happens when a nation gets a king. When you give a person that much power, it creates issues. You don't need that. God said, I want you to look, for, look to me for guidance and rule. You don't need a king. And they were like, but we want one, but our friends have one. Because they looked to like, the, the nations around them and were like, do they have kings? And they're great. That's exactly what they sounded like. Um, and so they begged God for a king, and they just demanded God give them a king. And God said, just like he always does, just like he always does to us. When we say, I want something different, than your plan. I want something different that I think is going to be better. He said, all right, I guess you got yourself a king. So he gave them a king. And uh, you may have, you may have saw that coming because you've heard of some of these kings. Um, and when God gave Israelites, the Israelites a king, he saw years and years of chaos and division and war and pain because the Israelites got what they wanted for. The problem with a man ruling over God's people is that when this man, this one person, turns their back on God, it affects the whole nation, right? When a person with that much power turns their back on God, it affects everybody. And that's what happened over and over in history. We see a lot of, a lot of kings over Israel. You may have heard of King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Those are just three generations of very many kings in Israel. So, when one person turns their back, when the one person with all the power turns their back on God, the whole nation is affected. And that's what we see happen with King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel. That's what they did. They turned their back on God, and it affected everybody around. So they served a false god named Baal. And so they had, they'd named prophets for Baal, and they made sacrifices for Baal. And they put up altars for Baal, 
and they took down the altars to God. They took down the altars to the Lord. So that will be the distinction we'll call the Lord, the true God, the Lord, and then Baal is this, this false God. So they have all these prophets, and they're actually like rounding up. He was not a fan of prophets of the Lord because they were teaching directly against the stuff he was talking about with Baal. So King Ahab and Jezebel had all the prophets of the Lord killed. Everyone who spoke with God's authority, God was giving messages to certain people, all of those people, we're going to have them killed. There's one left. And he's running around. And he's, Ahab is like going from like city to city saying, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Where is this guy? If I ever find out someone's hiding him, you're going to pay with your life. And so he's fi- trying to find Elijah. And eventually this last prophet named Elijah shows up at Ahab's doorstep. He shows up at Ahab's doorstep and he issues a challenge to Ahab. This is really interesting. He wants to have a duel of the prophets, or more accurately, a duel between Baal and his, uh, and his 450 prophets versus Elijah and the Lord, the one true God. So this is where we, we pick up. We, he lays out this plan for a duel in 1 Kings 18.22. Verse 22 is where we're at, all right? Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So he says, all right, Baal and his 450 prophets versus me and the Lord. So we'll set up a sacrifice, a slaughtered bull on a fire pit, on an altar without the fire. We're going to do everything but set it on fire. You call on Baal to light yours on fire, bring fire from the sky or whatever Baal does. I'm going to call on the Lord. I love what he says, like, um, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he's like, you call on your guy, I'll call on the real God. And my God will set my bull on fire and we'll see what happens over there. So Elijah being a gentleman says, you go first. Go ahead. You can go first. Um, We are back in at verse 26, I believe. Yes. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. The prophets of Baal called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or he's busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, must be awakened. What? Roasted. Elijah, I love this scripture. Elijah is just roasting the prophets of Baal. Oh, so good. But if you're going to be this cocky, you better be right, right? So uh, we, what's really cool? We get this word busy. In, this is the NIV translation. Um, what's cool here, what Elijah actually said, like in his original language, was something like, is he pooping or something? <laughs> if you read other translations, you'll see things like, he's, he's, is he relieving himself? It's like put politely. In this one, they took out the toilet humor altogether. But what Elijah said was, what's he doing? Is he pooping? Is he in the bathroom or something? It's in the Bible. It's in there. Other translations will get closer, but that's really what he meant. Is he, what's he, pooping? All right. So this is where the prophets of Baal get desperate. They, they're, so 
they start to worship Baal in, in a twisted and graphic type way. And that's something that you can always see in like false gods and even today in like other religions and even in any kind of sin. Like the lies will always mask themselves in truth. So these Baal prophets are worshipped, what they call worshipping Baal, but they are doing evil things that God has prohibited them to do. So Baal is being worshipped in verse 28. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. So we see some twisted and graphic worship here. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophecy until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So they're doing this all day. They try everything they know, every trick in the Baal book. They have done everything they know how to do. And Baal doesn't answer. Can you play some music there in the back for me? Pick back up on in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. Then they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel with the stones. He built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around it enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again. He said, and they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. The trench. One more piece of history. Um, at this time, they were in a massive drought. So there was no water around. This four, what, three jugs of water may have been all the water they had. Elijah was taking their most precious resource and, and pouring it onto this, this altar that he needed fire to be on in a minute. So you're going to see massive trust, Elijah trusting God in a big way. Again, if you're going to be this cocky, you better be right. He's pouring his most precious resource. Not only, I don't know why I'm saying resource, I don't know. So not only is he wasting all of his water, giving away all of his water, but he is making it more difficult for this altar to catch on fire. All right. But it was all about sacrifice. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trenches. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So we see no desperate exhaustion in worship. We see Elijah being obedient to God, saying, God, I gave you an opportunity to show up in front of these people so that they know who the true God is come through. And not only does he set the, the, the altar on fire, but he sets it on fire after it had, it had been doused in water. And he sets it on fire so much that it burns flesh, wood, 
stone, dirt, and all the water evaporates. He shows up in a really, really big way. And what did we learn? Don't bet against the Lord. I also learned that the mountain is not about me. The mountain is not about me. This is what I learned from this event in history. In the apex moment, it's all about God. In the apex moment, it's all about God. Elijah's goal was to make God famous. So he created an opportunity for God to show up in a big way to put the focus on him, to show all the people around, this is the Lord and he is God. He put the focus on him, and that's what happened. He gave the opportunity for the focus to be on God, and that's what happened. Everyone there saw it, and everyone there learned that the mountain is not about me. I also learned that in the apex moment, you feel small. And when the focus is entirely on God, you start to realize that we, have, we serve a big and amazing God. And you start to realize how small you are. And I'm not saying that you're worthless. I'm not saying that you don't have value because God sees you as infinitely valuable. He cares about you infinitely. But you start to realize that like, when it's all about God, what I want doesn't really matter. When it's all about God, what I think is right doesn't really matter. When it's all about God, my pride and my ego, they don't really matter. I start to realize when I make God the focus, I'm not all that I thought I was. You start to realize that you are smaller than the creator of the universe. And you realize the mountain is not about me. First King 1839, this last verse, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. These were not all followers of the Lord. These were, this was a crowd that had come around this duel. I'm sure a lot of the people, the followers of the Lord were hiding from this king that wanted them all dead. So we had a group of people that didn't come in believing in the Lord, but they saw this miracle and said, the Lord, he is God. And they fell, prostrate means they fell on their faces and they just laid there and screamed you are it. You are the God I've been looking for. I messed up in the past. They fell on the ground. They said, this is the true God. This is the one we need to worship. He is what it's all about. The mountain is not about me. I hope this stuff has challenged the way you think about apex moments a little bit. That's what this one phrase, the mountain is not about me. It's all I want you to remember tonight. It's all I want you to learn. So I hope it's challenged you a little bit. For some, I I think it's probably adjusted the way you think about it. For some, it's completely wrecked it. And you've said, you're saying, I have never had an apex moment. And that's because all I've done is is I sought the moment. And it was, I was doing it wrong. And so I hope that for some of you, you can course correct a little bit. And remember that the mountain is not about me. It's okay if your thinking has been completely flipped. In a minute, I'm going to pray and dismiss you into small groups for just a few minutes. When you go into your small group, what you're going to do is write a letter to yourself in the future. So you're going to write a letter to yourself in the future. This has become an apex tradition um, for the past two years. We've done this. This will be the third time. And if you wrote one to yourself last year, it's in the mail. You'll get it this week or next week. So in your letter for this year, I want you to set some goals for yourself. If 2019 is the year where we proclaim, we make true to ourselves that the mountain is not about me. 
and you're honestly going to make your spiritual walk more about God. You're going to think more about God. You're going to focus more on God than on yourself. What do you have to do to accomplish that? This is the kind of stuff I want in your letter. I want you to write this to yourself. What do I have to do to accomplish that, to live out the mountain is not about me? What will be different in a year if you have accomplished that goal? So you're going to write a letter to yourself a year in the future. This will come to your house in one year. And um, start it out like this. Dear future me. So you're going to get some paper with, our, with the apex on it. And just start out with dear future me. And, I, and if it helps you, use this phrase to guide what you write. By now, I have. So you're a year in the future. What are some goals that you want? So by now... I have regularly studied the Bible all year. By now, I have prayed for 10 minutes a day, every day. Or by now, I have told Jesus, told, told three friends about Jesus. By now, I have told 10 friends about Jesus. By now, I have gotten involved in fine arts. By now, I have gotten involved at the Apex Worship Team. By now, I've gotten involved at Harvest Kids serving God by, by helping young minds discover Jesus. You can use the words, by now I have to kind of guide your goals and that'll just help you a little bit. So just think about these goals. In 2019, how are you going to make it all about God? How are you going to make it all about God? And, and remember that the mountain is not about me. I want you to write those out to yourself. And what's going to happen is your small group leader is going to collect those letters and they're not going to read them. They're just going to collect them and give them to me. I'm going to seal them, and they're going to sit in a drawer for a year. And then in a year, they will be mailed to you. This is just a time for you to reflect, talk to God, figure out some goals, what you want to look like next year, what you want to do this year to proclaim, to make true that the mountain is not about me. Talk to your future self about it. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for these, these historical events that you showed up in a big way, that you showed up for Elijah, God. We thank you so much that you showed up. You made yourself the focus on that mountain. God, I pray that in each and every life represented in this room, that you help us to make you the focus. That for those of us who have been seeking you, but in a slightly wrong way, that we've been seeking a moment with you. We've been seeking um, a mission because we just desperately want you to know what you want us to do. Or we've just been seeking this moment so we can mark it off on our spiritual checklist or bump a letter grade on our spiritual report card. Help us to get that stuff right. Help us to seek you, to focus you because the mountain is not about me. And if I'm looking for a moment or an achievement, I've made the mountain about me. Help us to make what happened at the altar tonight about you, about an encounter with you, about making you famous, about what you want for us. God, I pray that you watch over these people as they watch over these students and leaders as they write these letters to themselves in the future. Give them guidance as to what you want them to do in the next year to make the mountain about you, to make their life, their spiritual walk all about you, God. Help us. Give us wisdom as we do this. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. 
You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little more like Jesus.